Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Tony Flynn. And I'm Kevin Decker. Welcome to Season 10, our self-congratulatory 10th season, more or less. And uh, Episode 13, lucky number 13. Today's episode is entitled, A Long and Distinguished Line of Bastards. And you're thinking, that's where Kevin and I come from. But no, our line of bastards has been remarkably undistinguished, yeah, to our right. shame. Yeah, it's been long, but uh, undistinguished. Undistinguished, beyond the usual level of bastardy that you see outside in your neighbor's conduct and among anti-maskers. Yeah. We want to come from more distinguished, bastardish line. We do, we do. What's ironic, of course, is that people who are... Uh, genealogically bastards are often quite nice people, and I don't think that we should go out in, in public and start yelling bastard at people and assume that they're bad just because they were born out of wedlock. Right, and we do mean bastards not necessarily in the sense of suspicious or inappropriate or unpleasant behavior, but the whole delicious humor of Kevin's um, title here is that <laughs> there's a genealogy of bastardy Calls into question tracking down who your parents are. It's Good best point. if we don't know. I got to tell you, Tony, one of my favorite recurring sitcom plots, and this happened in the Flintstones and elsewhere, is when the main couple of the sitcom, the married couple, realizes that the person who married them was not a real priest, pastor, judge, whatever. That's this right. happens it all the time. Is. Yeah, it never is. It's like there are no legitimate right. pastors or priests or even justices of the peace. And so for one episode, Episode, it's 29 minutes, just like the show, of renegotiating their whole life together, deciding if they still want to live together, whether they're children or bastards. Yes, the answer would be the, yes. Ine <laughs> inevitably. Yeah. And they both think of it as an excuse to get out of this right. domestic deal they found themselves in. But American culture wouldn't permit that, would it? No, 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 no. It wouldn't. And at the end, everything is wrapped up, you know, just like Wolverine always pops back from any potentially fatal encounter with the enemy. It turns out that they were wrong. They were married the whole time. And everybody has a good laugh and puts the cat out. <laughs> but the cat comes back in and yeah. does what cats do. Well, I'm glad we uh, resolved that little quandary in American culture. Mm -hmm. Well, Kevin, now that we've established that neither of us came from parents, <laughs> we might as well go ahead and look at the sketches that we have tonight. We do. May I, in a self-congratulatory and other congratulatory way, say I'm really excited about having another episode of Mr. Skids to start off this episode. Well, I'm very flattered. You, you write Mr. Skids. And it's, That's right. I thought it was a bastard sketch, but yeah, I am its parent. You are its parent. <laughs> we don't know which one yet. But <laughs> oh, Mr. I do. Mr. Skids is just wonderful because, of course, the premise here is always Mr. Skids saves blank, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Mr. Skids never does anything to save anyone because he's, well, he's a bastard. He is a doorstop in the life of the neighborhood, but yeah. a doorstop whose presence somehow... I don't even understand why he saves. I've, I've labeled these saves the neighborhood, the congregation, the church gun club coming up, simply because he never does. So right. I thought, what better reason to name it? But this time, uh, Mr. Skid saves the congregation. He finds himself passed out of a Sunday morning on the church steps, mm -hmm. and uh, he's going to be trampled by the faithful, but... They're reluctant, and we'll see what happens. And there's a little anti-mask subtext here, too, because part of the reason why the congregation is in danger 
is that they may be exposed to some sort of transmissible respiratory disease. That's a hoax. And they don't have masks on. Yeah, either that or it's a pro-mask. We're not sure which. Yeah, we don't know. After that, speaking of transmissible diseases, we go back into the rural byways of Men in Charge to do what, Kevin? We're going to round something up, and it's not uh, made by Monsanto. It's uh, Ivermectin Roundup. This is by our scriptwriter, Ann Porter. And this is, uh, once again, uh, Men in Charge's attempt to rationalize or in some small way understand why people who are afraid of COVID would not simply take a vaccine. Because it's better to take a horse dewormer. Yeah, that's right. Or in this case, cattle dewormer. And what happens to an individual after that? Well, you will see that in graphic detail. And you'll hear it and you will wake up screaming. And after that, with a sense of finality, but not urgency. Fan favorites Aiden and Largo return. Um, These are characters created by Kevin, and I've stolen them ever since. Aiden and Largo are underemployed mafia goons who want to have kind of a life-changing experience, don't they? They do, yeah. Their life is full of violence, uh, mainly because they cause it. Largo is like a one-man demolition squad, and Aiden, I'd like to say, is the brains, but I don't think that's true. He's what they have instead of brains. He's what they have instead of brains. So it's the quasi-brains and the brawn. And I think both of them are bastards because they both grew up in an orphanage. That's right, which is why this is a bastard of an episode. That's right. But they seek counseling, which Mm -hmm. is good because as the opening credits reveal— When you're an underemployed mafioso, where do your impulses go? Well, not toward the good. No, not toward the good, but self-improvement comes through their bloodthirsty veins. And now it's time for Mr. Skids Saves the Congregation. Mr. Skids, a surly drunkard with a heart of limestone, lives in a shabby apartment in a run-down, pre-boarded-up building in the neighborhood of Pansy Hollow, which is just downwind from Upper Lower Heights. Whenever his neighbors come clamoring to him for help, Mr. Skids is quick to lock his door against them. Yet the warm weather of a Sunday morning finds Mr. Skids reclining comfortably in a face-down sprawl in the concrete steps of the First Church of Anti-Science in Lower Lower Heights. His quarter-full gin bottle is only inches away from his hand, and his subconscious mind is struggling to make his conscious mind conscious enough to shift his fingers into their familiar gin bottle grip. But alas, Mr. Skid's subconscious mind, the source of dreams, ambitions, and conscience, has been under-exercised for most of his life, so he continues to lie there on the church steps in serene discomfort until... Mr. Skid, get out of the street! What are you, some kind of idiot? Wait, that's not Mr. Skid's. That's just a trash bin. Sorry for the mix-up, Mr. Skids. Mr. Skids! Mr. Skids, you gotta get up off the church steps. The congregation is about to arrive, and they'll trample you in their eagerness to hear the Lord's word. Billy, is that you? What's happened? What have you done to yourself? 
Did you scrape off your urchin face with some kind of vicious soap? And what's with the dark suit? And and is that fresh pomade in your hair? Oh, it sure is, Mr. Skids. And I made it myself from Vaseline and whatever's at the bottom of most yogurt containers. Good for you, but I've already lost interest. Now, what was my subconscious trying to tell me? Here's your gin, Mr. Skids. Sometimes your gin helps you think. Wait, that's just what you tell me, not what's necessarily true. Sometimes the truth is a terrible thing, Billy. Remember that. Oh, I will, Mr. Skids. But we still have to move you off these steps. I'll need help, though, unless you just want to be dragged down to the sidewalk. Uh, no, Billy. That always involves my banging my head on each step. Look, there's Mrs. Armbruster. She can help. Mrs. Armbruster! Mrs. Armbruster! Coming, Billy! Why, Mr. Skids! How delightful! You've made it to church very early this morning. You're an example to the entire Lower Lower Heights community. Yeah, isn't he terrific, Mrs. Armbruster? But we still need to move him off the steps, and quickly. You mean to avoid the trampling in the congregation's eagerness to hear the Lord's word? Oh my, yes. Come along, Mr. Skids. Oh. 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 Billy, tuck this pan of lasagna in that nasty torn jacket of his. He can enjoy it later. This is so exciting. I can hear the trampling feet of the faithful getting closer. Also, I have to get inside to light the candles and polish the brass idols, or Reverend Whippet will be furious and threaten me with God's divine wrath again. Uh-oh, here he is now with the mob of the faithful right behind him. Get Mr. Skids out of the way. We're ready to trample. God is giving you five merciful seconds. Is that the right number, Reverend Whippet, or is it too many? Wait, let us see what the Lord wants us to do. Sadly, we cannot trample Mr. Skids today on our way to worship. Our Lord fears trampling will threaten his re-election chances. Couldn't we just throw Mr. Skids down the steps into the traffic? Yeah, traffic. Oh, I, I wouldn't do that, faithful tramplers. Mr. Skids hasn't had a bath and... Actually, I don't think he's ever had a bath. Also, Mr. Skids hasn't had a chance to enjoy my lasagna today. That's odd. <coughs> I don't smell anything, but I don't feel well anyway. Let's call this a true day of rest so I can go lie down. Mr. Skids! Mr. Skids, you're a hero! 
you saved the congregation, didn't he, Mrs. Armbruster? That's right, Billy. Reverend Whippet, with a crowd indoors, singing the divinely ordained no mask rule? We were moments away from plague spreading. I'd kiss you if you didn't need a full afternoon of scrubbing, Mr. Skids. That's all the time we have now for Mr. Skids Saves the Congregation. Tune in again next time when we'll hear Reverend Whippet say... If Jesus had wanted us to be vaccinated, he wouldn't have made his father send us all those plagues. Men in charge. Something about clubbing just doesn't sound right. Howdy, listener. I'm Suleen Roper, third-generation rancher. Lived in the same house all my life. Lately here, we've got a lot of new folks, city folks, moving in, buying up real nice summer pastures. Interesting times, that's what I think. You think so, too? Then maybe you'd like to hear a story about my new neighbors, Robert and Jennifer. Their last name, where exactly they live or lived, I think you'll see it doesn't really matter anymore. The whole thing started when they showed up on this very porch last spring. Why, you must be Celine. My husband Robert and I have just moved in down the road. We sure did. It was time for us to live out here in the fresh, clean air, where a person's free to think for themselves. Hmm, it's a constitutional right, and a personal choice. Out here, nobody can force us to wear a mask. In the city, everywhere you turn, those darn libs are forcing unproven vaccines on the unsuspecting public. Vaccines? Medications? I inoculate my herd to keep them all safe. Medicate when needed. Well, gosh, that's one of the reasons we stopped by. I mean, other than to say hello. Robert. Uh, hello. Sure. Uh, right. Uh, to say hello. But also to say that we've done the research. The research? On ivermectin. I use ivermectin as a dewormer for my cattle. But uh, the internet says that it's a preventative, you know, for people. You have head lice? Uh, head lice? No. Rosacea? <laughs> no. And since we don't, our doctor wouldn't prescribe it for us. Even though the internet says... That ivermectin works. We did our research online. So, you want some of the medication that I've been using on my cattle? Well, gosh, you must have a lot of it. That's right, listener. I do have a lot of it. And with what Robert and Jennifer were willing to pay, I sold them a lot of it. I didn't notice much of a change in them right away, but after a while, all those meds meant for cattle began to take effect. Then I overheard them at the feed co-op. Oh, Robert, I'm tired of the alfalfa pellets. Let's get some sweet feed. 
Oh, yeah, with the molasses. And a salt block. A big one. It wasn't long afterwards that I saw they were getting kind of, well, furry. Jennifer's coat came in like a Hereford's, and I couldn't help but notice that at first she dyed the white parts. But she stopped caring once Robert's coat came in the same way, and she kind of gave up on that. Then, when they came to visit, conversation was pretty limited. So, at branding time, it just seemed natural to include him in the process. Later on, when it was time to, shall I say, take care of the male calves, well, I just included Robert in with the others. Just seemed like good cattle management. And finally, when it was time to send the steers to market, I loaded Robert in the truck right along with the rest. He'd put on nearly two and a half pounds a day, and quite frankly, it seemed a waste not to ship him off to the stockyard with the rest of them. Jennifer didn't seem to mind, especially once I put her out in those nice summer pastures with that longhorn bull. So folks, go ahead and do your online research. I'm sure you know more than your doctor. And if the dosage is too high, don't you worry. I'll take care of your pastures for you, or any assets really. Just ask your veterinarian if ivermectin is right for you. Welcome on board the Men in Charge bus. There's just one clean seat left, so sit down and shut up. As we all know from stories told around the campfire, the life of the Mafia goon is not an easy one. And to be an underemployed Mafia goon makes life even harder. Fan favorites Aiden and Largo typify this sort of stalled career, which has taken a severe toll on their psychological well-being. Encouraged by a stranger on the bus to seek counseling, Aiden and Largo decided that they had nothing to lose in doing so, even though their health insurance had lapsed. Get off my foot, you big lug! Lago, this stranger is speaking to us disrespectfully. I think he wants to get off the bus here. You are right, Aiden. <laughs> Ow! Jeez, you guys need counseling. Perhaps we do need counseling, Aiden. I was indeed standing on the stranger's foot. You may be right, Lago. And as usual, we have the morning free, so why not? Untutored in the ways of finding a counselor, and unwilling to pay for the service in any case, our heroes stop in at the psychology department at Lower Heights Community College. After lying on their admission forms, Aiden and Largo at last find what they seek, a free, one-time-only counseling session. Hello, I'm Miss Mithers. So... It's Bill and Bob, then. <laughs> no, that is not our names. We lied. I guess 
My entire life is a lie. I feel so much better. So this is counseling? I love it. Ow! I see you've slapped Bob on the back of his head, Bill. What impulse do you think drove you to do that? I'm the one claiming to be Bob, Ms. Mithers, and the dope slap is a long-standing form of nonverbal communication between us. When one of us, usually Largo slash Bill, says something especially dopey. And how does that make you feel, Largo slash Bill, when Bob gives you a dope slap? And why does he call you Largo slash Bill? Well, Ms. Mithers, it is indeed a fact that it hurts. It hurts deeply, and my ears ring for hours. Ow! I see, Bob, that Largo slash Bill has just given you a dope slap. Do you think that was in retaliation for your dope slap? Or... Was he communicating something else? And why do you call him Largo slash Bill? His admission form simply says, Bill. Wait, Mrs. Mithers, shouldn't you first ask me how his dope slap made me feel? Oh, very well. How did his dope slap make you feel? It hurt. Both my head and my feelings. It feels like Logo slash Bill has somehow betrayed me. Aiden, Aiden slash Bob, that is, is incorrect about his feelings. My dope slap was an act of simple retaliation and thus a justifiable rebuke. Hmm, I see. In any case, could one of you please explain the Aiden slash Bob and Largo slash Bill names? <clears throat> if uh, we might defer that question till a later time, I think I will say instead that I accept Largo slash Bill's construction of the dope slap as a justifiable rebuke, and therefore that we should accept each other's apologies and perhaps should go. But wait, Aiden slash Bob slash Bill, should we really leave now? I do not feel I have been fully counseled yet. Perhaps not, Bill, but Miss Mithers is getting interrogaty, much like the cops. But until she hits us with nightsticks, perhaps we could be counseled some more? Very well. Please continue counseling us, Miss Mithers. Just remember, we do not react well to being threatened with sticks. Let's back up here. Your variable names aside, what, that is, what exactly brought you here today? Well, you see, Miss Smithers, there was a man on the bus today who... Aha, another man, hmm? So... Are there troubles in the bedroom? Come to think of it, there are. This is kind of embarrassing, Miss Smithers, but... Uh... Go ahead and tell her, Aiden. Or Bill. I will tell her if you cannot. Please, go ahead. No subject is too taboo to discuss. Mice. Whenever we return to the flophouse room we rent down in Pansy Hollow, we find a colony of mice playing under our beds. 
The mice are, uh, unclean. Aiden or Bill is right, Miss Smithers. Do you counsel us to leave that place and find a new cheap room? I, well, uh, sure. But what about the man on the bus? He was speaking rudely to us, so... So I threw him out a bus window. He was the one who suggested counseling. Thus, here we are. Also, I fear we are living a lie, as I remarked in my opening remarks. Does this lie have to do with being Aiden slash Largo? No. But yes, come to think of it, that too. Perhaps we should start again, all over again. When you say you've been living a lie, what exactly do you mean? I think I'm not sure. Perhaps I thought that was what we were supposed to say in counseling, just as they do on the psychological television shows we both enjoy. You're supposed to say you've been living a lie at the end of counseling, not the beginning. Sorry. I suppose that means two lies now. Will will I be punished? Let's get back to our discussion of the bedroom. I sense some avoidance. Yes, good counseling, Miss Mithers. We want to avoid the mice. You said the mice were unclean. Is that perhaps a veiled reference? A guilty reference to anything else that goes on in the bedroom? You think we should be perhaps more tidy in our personal habits? This is excellent counseling, Miss Mithers. Aiden, how many times have I insisted, politely and with all due acknowledgement of our years of partnership, that to wedge your dirty socks into your pillowcase to fluff up your flat pillow violates everything the orphanage matrons taught us to believe? Are you saying, Largo, that by fluffing up my pillow in this distasteful way is, in essence, Lying about the volume of my pillow support? Am I, too, living a lie? If so, I also feel relieved. You were a fine counselor in training, Largo. I am proud of you, Aiden. You've done very good work today. Perhaps, if we return to the bedroom... Never again, Miss Mithers. Not unless Mr. Capablanco hires us for another arson job. That building is already pre-boarded up, so... That gives me an idea, Largo. We could apply our arson skills to the building prior to Mr. Capablanco hiring us to do it, and then tell him that unless he puts us back on enforcer duty, we will tell the organized crime squad that he hired us to do it. Your excellent brain is back, Aiden. Thank you, Miss Mithers. Such counseling. I wish we had known you in the orphanage. Aiden's personal habits would have been a credit to mafioso everywhere. Well, that's all the time we have now for Aiden and Largo Seek Counseling. Tune in again next time when we'll hear Miss Smithers say, Aiden, Largo, here's a list of people I'd like you to throw off the bus. I think it's time to thank our cast, our writers, a multitude of people who've done us no harm whatsoever. 
So, Kevin, thank our cast. I will. I would like to thank Tony Flynn, Ann Porter, Maureen Hager, Nancy Roth, and Kevin Decker. Today's sketches were written by Ann Porter and Tony Flynn, and I'd also like to thank The Bad Plus for our theme song, Seven Minute Mind. And we can't help but not forget the innumerable people whom we must also thank. Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, and the only man who exchanged his Nobel Prize for a Grammy Award, Brian Lindsay. 